This is Bloomberg Business Week from Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Carol Master. Welcome to the Bloomberg Business Week Extra. It's our weekly podcast bringing you an in-depth interview you will not hear anywhere else. And Jason, there was a lot going on this week, and it also includes just about one week ago, we got news of the passing of legendary, iconic CEO of General Electric, Jack Welch, certainly well-known to many of our listeners. That's exactly right. And lucky for us, we had an inside track to talk to someone who knew him incredibly well, the co-author of his autobiography, Jack, Straight from the Gut. That's John Byrne. Check it out. Jack Welch, the much-talked-about former chairman and CEO of General Electric, he passed away one week ago at the age of 80. For someone who knew him, beyond the headlines that most of us read, is John Byrne. He wrote the book with Jack Welch. It's his autobiography. It was entitled Jack, Straight from the Gut. He spent a lot of time with him. More than a 1,000 hours, Mm -hmm. a full year, a level of intimacy that really no journalist gets uh, with a source and a friendship that certainly continued. John joins us from San Francisco. So I I have to say, John, first condolences. I know that he was a close friend, a mentor, uh, and someone who gave you a lot of advice over the years, unvarnished. What was your first thought when you heard that he had passed? Well, uh, there was a sense of sadness. Um, He was really a larger-than-life figure, and I know that's almost a cliché, but in his case, it really fits. He uh, squeezed every precious moment out of every minute in his life uh, to get the most out of it. He was fun to be with. Uh, He could be a very um, scary character when he Mm -hmm. got mad. Uh, He was remarkably intense. <clears throat> he uh, he was wickedly smart, um, and when you were in his orbit, you somehow spe- uh, felt special. Um, you didn't feel ordinary anymore, uh, and that was a, the kind of magic that he had with a lot of people. Right, and he was very much a people person. I mean, he um, and he would go right to it. Well, I'm- so what, what, whatever wherever there was some um, something that he could provoke, he would provoke it. Before you wrote the book with him um, in, I think, 2001, you actually first got to know him back in 1998, and and you wrote a story for Bloomberg, or what was Business Week at that time. It became the longest um, cover story in the magazine's history. Take us back. That was in 1998. What was your first impression yeah. of him? What was the first time you met him and sat with him? Um, do you remember that? Sure. Well, uh, contrary to what people think, he never sought the limelight. The limelight sought him, mm. and it was difficult for him to actually sit down with a journalist. Um, it took me a year to gain access uh, to do that cover story. So, but once he opened the door, he completely opened the door. I spent four months. I interviewed well over 50 executives in the company. I traveled all over the country to different divisions, and I interviewed him multiple times. <clears throat> And the story really told uh, the, the sort of narrative of how did this one guy have so much influence over this massive global corporation with 350,000 employees and a range of business that was truly mind-boggling from appliances and light bulbs to aircraft engines and, um, the aircraft engines and uh, power generation equipment. Um, how does everyone know him as Jack, and how does he wield this influence? And it really got inside uh, the motivational techniques that he used to uh, get performance out of the company. He would do these handwritten notes that became prized within 
uh, GE to people who really made a difference. And, uh, and, and those things hung in their offices, and they were just like the amazing, most, the best honor you could ever get. Uh, so I got to know him there. And then as he approached his retirement two and a half years later, he came to me and asked if I would help him write his memoir. Uh, of course, there was no hesitation. Uh, I agreed. To me, that experience was like having a PhD in management or leadership. Uh, I did, in fact, spend well over a thousand hours face-to-face, one-on-one with Jack. Uh, it was the most grueling experience of my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, we fought a lot over uh, what should be included, what shouldn't be included. Uh, he was uh, very demanding. We went through many, many, many drafts. I can tell you some of the chapters went through something like 18, 20 drafts. We'd sit side by side after I would write. uh, And to make the manuscript his own, uh, he would go over every paragraph, every sentence, every word. We'd fight over commas and dashes. So one time after scribbling all these notes all over the pages, um, he turned to me, grabbed my arm, looked me in the eye and said, you're going to mess this up, aren't you? He used a more colorful (laughs) word than mess it up, okay? (laughs) But that was Jack. Yeah. And so what did you learn about him in that process, about him as as a human? Because, again, the intimacy that you gain over that many hours and over telling someone's life story in that level of detail, what did you learn about him? Well, I learned that uh, one of the remarkable characteristics that he had Uh, was his love for people. And while he could be incredibly tough on people, um, literally beat them up, uh, he also just as easily could come over to them, uh, wrap his arms around them, and tell them in the most genuine way possible, I love you. Um, And that meant a lot to people. And he rewarded people incredibly generously. You know, we often think uh, in Silicon Valley, and I'm here in the Bay Area, that um, these companies are very generous and buy a lot of talent with stock options. Well, you know, Jack used stock options very effectively in a big uh, conglomerate, uh, made tens of thousands of people uh, millionaires as a result. So if you performed and, and really did well by the company, you did well by yourself because he made sure that you were generously awarded for your work. So... His intense focus on people, people were everything to him. He spent an extraordinary amount of time teaching uh, at Crotonville, GE's uh, Center for uh, Education. Uh, He spent an unbelievable amount of time in personal reviews, uh, getting to know all of the top uh, management and leaders in the company. He was a meddler. He violated the chain of command every single day, sometimes reaching down in the organization five layers and having people report to him over years, like on a weekly basis, uh, if they had a particular challenge or problem that they needed to solve that he felt was important to the company. And by, by reaching that far down right. and violating the chain, chain of command, uh, he, that's how he became Jack to a, 
to everyone in the company, even though there are 350,000 employees all over the world. John, I will say, I have an uncle who worked for General Electric for a long time in Connecticut and would talk about, I mean, referred to him as Jack, and he would come to, you know, factory floors or plants. Um, you know, he was certainly was somebody who was very visible. I do wonder, I want to go back to the process of you writing, because there is somewhere I read, you know, Jason mentioned the thousand hours you spent. You spent so much time with him, but you were doing things, sometimes it was over pizza and beer, microwave popcorn, uh, sometimes a great bottle of Bordeaux. I do wonder, what was he like? Because here's somebody who, when he left the job, got an incredible payout, I think, of you know hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, but somebody who kind of worked his way up. Um, what kind of guy was he? Because he was someone who achieved an incredible level of success, but it seems like he also found great joy in some very simple things. Uh, he did, and, and the truth is, okay, so he's a first-generation college grad. Mm -hmm. His dad was a railroad conductor. Uh, he, Jack, did have a Ph.D., uh, in engineering, uh, but he was as simple and straightforward as you could ever imagine someone. Um, he used a lot of colorful language. Uh, he had a lot of fun with his life. Uh, simple things meant a lot to him. I'll tell you one story that I remember very vividly. Uh, I went to his home. He had a, a vacation home in Nantucket, beautiful place. And we went out to a charity function uh, for a charity that he was supporting. And we came back that night, and they had a guest house. I was staying at the guest house. So uh, the moment I walk in the guest house, the phone rings. I pick it up, and it's Jack. And Jack is yelling on the phone. Also, he spoke very loud. Uh, he was yelling at, uh, on the phone in his raspy voice, John, John, come outside, come outside. So I walk outside, and then he's, I see him on a deck uh, overlooking the guest house, and he's yelling at me, look up, look up, look up. And it is a beautiful night. The stars are shining. It's kind of magical. And then he shouts, isn't that incredible? <laughs> <laughs> so, so he's that kind of guy. Right. I'll tell you another story that's, um, that told me a lot about him, or at least reinforced uh, the things that I felt about him. You know, after he left GE... Uh, there was a big brouhaha, uh, in part because his second wife filed divorce papers um, and outlined a lot of perks that he had that, that were actually quite embarrassing to him. But what happened is, um, this is about six months after our book was published, and it was published, incidentally, on September 11th, the September 11th. Uh, it was on the bestseller list for six months. Um, but here we are, six months after the fact, I'm at my weekend home. It's Sunday night, something like 8.30 at night, and the phone rings. I pick it up. It's Jack. And Jack is telling me that in the following morning, the Wall Street Journal is going to run a story that's going to report that he has a relationship with the editor of the Harvard Business Review. And he wanted to let me know uh, that that was true that he loved this woman, and that if any way I felt uh, disappointed or betrayed in him, he wanted to apologize to me. Hmm. And I thought, wow, okay, number one, he didn't have to do that. Number two, he was being totally accountable and taking whatever painful consequences would result from this story and this uproar that would occur over it. Uh, and he's really incredibly human and, and loyal to a friend because he didn't want the friend to think, 
um, that he had disappointed him. And I think that just tells me so much about uh, the quality of this man and how he lived his life. And so, John, as you read and hear everything that's been uh, written and talked about since uh, Jack's death, what do you make of it? What do you make of his legacy? Because it's fair to say, from a business perspective, it's a complicated one, given you know what has happened to GE specifically, and even mm. some of his lieutenants who went on to other jobs, some very successfully, uh, some maybe not so much, and some questions raised there. What do you make of it as someone who, we should point out, a little brag for us, uh, you wrote more Business Week cover stories than any person in history, so you know a thing or two about business. What do you make of his business legacy? Here's the, the truth of it is that, look, anyone who lives a meaningful life, uh, anyone who makes a very big difference in this world um, is going to have uh, some flaws or imperfections uh, that the media is going to jump all over. So, you know, you can read, um, there was one piece in The New Yorker, for example, that basically said the reason why there is a Bernie um, a Bernie Sanders is because of Jack Welch. Or there's uh, a columnist in the Washington Post who wrote about the toxic legacy of Jack Welch. Uh, and when they write about these things, what they talk about is what they consider to be his focus on the short term, uh, his focus on shareholder return as opposed to a broader stakeholder uh, theory of how a business should be run. Uh, the truth is he was hardly a short-term manager because for 20 years he was CEO and chairman of GE. And for 20 years that company performed exceptionally well. That is not a short-term manager, number one. Uh, number two, in terms of uh, running the company for shareholder wealth, yes, shareholder wealth, market capitalization was a scorecard for him, an important scorecard. And um, it was an important scorecard not only for his investors, but also for his employees because so many of them had stock options and they were rewarded handsomely for the performance of that company. Uh, I, I do not believe that he was uh, merely a person who was a shareholder return uh, guy. Uh, if you look at how he treated his people, uh, you wouldn't come away with that conclusion, how he treated the suppliers or his customers. They were all very important to him. Were there any... So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm just curious, though, too, since, uh, you know, I'm not sure how much you guys kept in touch. It sounds like, you know, you were in touch with him, you know, after he left the company. Were there any conversations that he had maybe like, maybe I shouldn't have increased our exposure to the financial sector so much because that was certainly incredibly problematic after the financial meltdown? I'm just curious if if there were any things that he kind of had a rethought about um, after he left GE, especially because he saw, uh, you know, the things that happened. Yeah. I, I think he would consider his greatest single mistake um, his successor. Mm -hmm. And uh, look, you can't blame Jack for what happened to the company after he left. You can blame him for everything that happened while he was there for 20 years in the, in the top job. Um, but I, I think what happened after he left is largely uh, the fault of his successor and, um, and many choices that were made. Uh, by Jeff Immel at GE. So in terms of financial exposure, there was a, an unwritten rule at General Electric that the financial assets should never exceed a certain threshold. And that belief uh, occurred because the feeling was 
that if it did go beyond a certain level, Wall Street would look at GE differently and value GE differently, more as a financial company than what it actually was. Uh, and the truth is that Jeff Immel actually went beyond that threshold and increased the company's exposure to uh, the financial markets so that when the Great Recession came, uh, it became more vulnerable to the shock of that. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Jack did not buy a subprime mortgage company a year before the Great Recession occur, occurred in one of the biggest in America. Jeff Immel did. So it's, you know, it's unfair to say, okay, I'm going to now judge Jack uh, on how GE performed after, long after he left. It just doesn't make any yeah. sense. All right. It really doesn't. There are plenty of other things you can blame right. Jack for. Right. <laughs> uh, his acquisition of Kidder Peabody was right. a total mess yeah. and, and really quite dumb and stupid. And he would admit that. Yeah. Uh, he, he, if he were here today, he would tell you the single biggest mistake he made <clears throat> was uh, on his succession. Yeah. Um, he made other mistakes as well that are actually cataloged in the book. You know, when we wrote the book, one of the things that he didn't want to do he didn't want to dish dirt. He didn't want to settle scores. And he didn't want to be critical of anyone. Hmm. And actually, that became uh, very difficult for me uh, because there's a lot of, uh, you know, juice yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in those areas that he would not go to. Interesting. Um, he, he didn't want the book to be preachy. He wanted it to come off as if he were sitting at a bar. He was having a beer. And next to him was a stranger who he had just met, and he's telling his story to. So there is that informality, that real jackness uh, to the book. Right. Um, but, but he wouldn't go anywhere near being critical of other people or dishing dirt. Well, I will say, John... Uh, that wasn't his, his routine. I wish we were at a bar and having some drinks, because yeah. I think we could talk to you for hours, but, <laughs> but we can't. Um, but thank you so much for giving us some insight that really m- nobody really had, be, you know, except for you, in terms of um, who Jack Welch was and his thinking. So thank you so much for sharing it with us and, and with the magazine this week. Thank you. I really enjoyed that conversation. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business Week Extra. Be sure to tune into Bloomberg Business Week Radio live Monday through Friday at 2 p.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg Radio. I'm Carol Masser. And I'm Jason Kelly. This is Bloomberg.